Our scripture reading comes from the the prophet Micah. We'll read from chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Let's read God's good word together. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Who do you want to be in 2023? Is it the same person you were in 2022? Slightly optimized, maybe? Just a few tweaks? Or are you looking for a new beginning? You know, this is a time, there's nothing cosmologically special about January 1st. I mean, if you're part of the Roman religion, you are, because it's, you know, you're celebrating Janus and all of that. But, but for most of us, it's just a day. And yet it's a day whenever we can experience new beginnings, whenever the calendar changes. And for some reason, we think that, you know, maybe I could be different too. And so we set goals, we set resolutions, we set intentions. Um, it's actually interesting the way that this has changed over the years. You know, now we, we, some of us pick a theme word or something like that, you know, that's kind of all over the place. But we think about how things could be different this year, where we want to put our focus. And, and I wonder, as you think about that, you know, maybe you're a resolution person. Maybe you're like, I don't make resolutions. I make goals and they are all smart and they are documented. You know, I know we're kind of all over the place on that. But, uh, you know, regardless of what that is for you, as you think about those things that you have planned for the year to come, if you achieve all of your goals or resolutions or intentions, how will you be different? How will you be different if those things come to pass? And not just you, but will the world be different as a result? Or will it just be you? Because one of the things that Father Richard Rohr reminds us is that our lives are not just about us. They're about the world. They're about God's will and what God wants to be done. And so if all of those things happen, will your life, will your family be better? Or will the world be better as well? And as we look around in 2023, you know, isn't it great that the calendar flipped and all the problems of 2022 just got left behind? (laughs) Right? Everything in my family is great. All the bumps we used to have, they're just smooth, and the political situation is great, and no, okay, well, I I guess that dream had to end, right? All those things still exist, and you know, we can't control those things, and and sometimes that's really discouraging, right? I mean, you you watch the news, you you scroll through it, and you see all the things that are happening. You think, you know, how how could I make a difference with all of these things going on? And, And you know, we can't control how the world is but we can control how we are in the world. And that may not change the headlines, but it makes a difference. The way that we are in the world makes a difference to the people around us, to our families, to the people we work with, the people we're in school with. And that bubbles out and can make a difference. And so particularly, you know, whatever, particularly if you're in leadership, that makes a difference. But, and each of us is in some way. And I love the way that Todd Bolsinger puts it. He, he says, if we want the organizations and communities we serve to thrive, focus on what God needs to do in you change in you, make over in you, so he can use you in his mission. If we really want to see change in the world, 
the first place we need to start is with us, the only person that we can control. And as we do that, those changes will bubble out and make a difference. And so that's what we're looking at over the next few weeks is how can, how can we be differently? We're, we're calling this sermon series the B Campaign. And, and we're looking at how can we be different so that the world might be different as well. Not, not trying to become someone different, but becoming truly who God made us to be and living in the way that God made us to live. And so that's what we're looking at. We'll be going through this. It's, it's based on um, the, the verse from the Bible, uh, Micah 6, 8, the, what we just read. And, and just to reiterate that, he, it says, He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And you know, as you look at those things, that's, that's a pretty good summary for what, what a faithful life looks like. And so we're going to look at each of those. This is, uh, we'll start off with just kind of the context this week, and then in the weeks to follow, we'll be looking at, you know, what does it look like to be just? What does it look like to be kind? What does it look like to be humble? How can we actually put that into practice? And, and if we do, it'll make a difference in our lives and in the lives of others. And so that's, that's where we start. And maybe you've heard that verse before. It gets quoted a lot, but... Um, a lot of us don't really know the context that, uh, that it comes from. And, uh, and as uh, Pastor Mark says sometimes, and I'm sure he heard someone smart say it, but a text, a biblical text without a context is a pretext, right? I mean, you can take any verse and make it say whatever you want if you ignore what comes before and after it. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Micah's context and what was actually happening. And so um, Micah's one of the minor prophets. You know, maybe if you went to Sunday school, I can still see my childhood Sunday school class, and we had this poster with the books of the Bible and the minor prophets. There are 12 of them. And Micah's one of those minor, not because they're less important, just because they're shorter. Um, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel are super long. Daniel's pretty long, too. And, and the others are shorter. Um, um, but, uh, but those are the minor prophets because of their length. And so um, those are those, that's what Micah is. And he was active in the late 700s um, BC, before Christ. Um, and it was a time of both internal and external threats for Judah. And, and so if you've been through um, Disciple Bible Study or if you um, know your Bible history, um, this was the time whenever the, the kingdom of Israel had split into two kingdoms. And so in the north, you had the northern kingdom of Israel. In the south, you had Judah. Jerusalem was in the south in Judah, and the capital of Israel was Samaria. And so um, it was a united kingdom during the times of King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. And after that, um, there was a split after King Solomon died. And so this was what was going on. There were two kingdoms, and, um, and Micah was born in, in Judah, and uh, he came from a, a rural town named Moresheth. The only thing I know about that town is that it's where Micah was from, and so not particularly noteworthy. And he likely had a working class background. And so he was one of the common folks, you know, he wasn't upper class, his, his uh, family weren't leaders or major people in society, but um, he, he was part of the common people. And one of the things that you see throughout the book of Micah is that he's really concerned about how the common people are treated and, and the, the effect that the things leaders do have on common people. And so that comes up again and again. And, and so this is how Micah starts. It says, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth, all right, that's where he's from, and uh, in the days of the kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And so that kind of sets it up um, that, uh, that he tells you who were the kings during the time that he was prophesying. And then really what his concern is, is what's happening in the places of power in Samaria and Jerusalem and what the leaders are doing and, and the effect that that's having on all the people. 
And, and so that's kind of where he is. And, and this is also a time when the dominant power in the region was Assyria. And they were uh, amassing power and became a serious threat. And eventually, in 722 BC, the, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and destroyed its capital, Samaria. And, and so the people um, who lived in the northern kingdom were scattered. Some of them were taken into exile into Assyria. Some of them fled to Jerusalem. And uh, archaeological evidence uh, suggests that in the, the city grew and made have as much as doubled at that time, uh, largely because of the people who were flooding in, escaping um, the destruction of the northern kingdom. And, and so that was going on, and, uh, and so the northern kingdom had been destroyed, and for the people who were in Judah, um, they knew that the threat was right there, right? It wasn't like Assyria was like, okay, we conquered these people. I think that's enough, right? I mean, our, our empire is usually like that, like, yeah, we conquered, let's conquer seven other countries, and then we'll be good. Our appetite for destruction and conquer will be satisfied. That's not usually how works. At least that's not my reading of history. And so, um, and so they knew that there was that threat, and Judah managed to avoid conquer by um, becoming a vassal of the Assyrians. Basically, they became like a colony. They, they were under the rule of Assyria. They got, you know, they, they kind of got the appearance of self-rule, but it was tightly monitored, and they had to pay tribute. They had to pay a lot of money to the Assyrians in order to keep whatever semblance they had of independence. And so that was going on, but they knew that, um, that, that threat of Assyria coming and being like, no, we're just going to conquer you outright. That was still there. And, and so they took steps in order to protect themselves, particularly during the reign of Hezekiah. He kind of played the game and kept Assyria happy, but he was also making sure that they could take care of themselves. And so it, maybe you've heard of Hezekiah's tunnel. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, uh, you can actually visit that today. It still exists, but, but it's, a, it's a tunnel. It's about 1,200 feet long, and it's, it's a way of getting water into the city and it's underground and protected. And so if the city did come under siege, they would still be able to get water. And you can see how narrow that is. If you don't like tight spaces, don't, and you go to the Holy Land, don't walk down the, the tunnel of Hezekiah because it's like a quarter mile of that. Not a lot of fun. But, uh, but you can see, I mean, it, it was made well. But those were the kind of precautions they were having to take because they didn't know if the people, if, if the Assyrians would come and try to conquer them again. They had to make sure that they were able to get water into the city if, if they were under siege and surrounded and not able to get out. And, and so all of this was going on. And uh, according to Micah, the causes of the suffering that Samaria and Jerusalem were undergoing, first the, the conquer of Samaria and then Jerusalem beca- being under the, the Assyrian rule and uh, constantly under threat, there were two causes, uh, idolatry and injustice. And so this is what, uh, what he says concerning the, the first idolatry. Um, For lo, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Now, the phrase high places comes up a lot in the prophets. That, the high places are what they referred to as, as a place of worship of other gods. They were places, you know, they would raise them up in the same way that, you know, you want to build a temple in a place that's high or you want to build a tall monument. That's where they would offer sacrifices to other gods. And so um, this was a, a point of concern for, for people who were faithful to the God of Israel because that's where sacrifices were being offered to other gods. And so Micah sees this and, and is condemning it, the, that the worship of other gods is happening. And so God's saying, I, I will come down and tread upon the high places. That's not like God's going like, to knock down all the mountains. It's the places of worship that, uh, that were going to be taken down. And, and connected to that um, is also the things that, were, that the injustice that people were perpetuating. And so this is what we read later in the second chapter of Micah. Alas for those who devise wickedness and evil deeds on their beds. When the morning dawns, 
dawns, they perform it because it is in their power. So they're dreaming about the evil things to do. And whenever they wake up, they're like, okay, I'm going to go do some evil stuff. And uh, probably not exactly in those words, but you get the idea. And, and so, so what kind of things? Well, they covet fields and they seize them, houses, and take them away. They oppress householder and house people and their inheritance. So what was going on is people would see the land that other people possessed and thought, you know, that would be really nice if that were mine. And, and they would take it. There were people who were powerful. They were leaders. And so they had the power to do that. And, and so they would just take it. They, they would take the land of other people. They, they would take the homes of other people. And, and they would just be out of luck. And you can see why, why someone who's part of the common folk would see this happening and would be upset about it, right? And, and so all of this was happening. You can imagine, you know, if someone just decided, you know, I like that house that you're living in. It's mine now. How would you feel? Me, not super great. Not be happy about that. And so that's what's going on is, is there's rampant injustice. People with power are taking advantage of people who are less powerful. And that's what Micah is speaking out against. And, and the connection there is, is whenever we worship something other than God, we often fail to love others as a result. A lot of times if, if we find ourselves worshiping things, you know, we don't, uh, usually we don't put up altars to uh, other people, although, you know, some of the stuff we have around college football sometimes really borders on an altar. I, I should leave that alone, right? I mean, I grew up in Norman, so I'm part of it too. But, but, you know, I mean, we don't worship gods in the same way those do, but we do worship things like power, like money, like influence and status. And whenever we do that, whenever we become more concerned about those things than being faithful to God, we have a tendency to, to not love the people that God has called us to love. If I'm mostly concerned about accumulating wealth for myself, I'm less concerned about how that affects other people. If I'm mostly concerned about gaining power for myself and for my family, then I'm going to run over people who get in my way. And so that's what happens. Whenever we worship other things, we also end up failing to love Whenever we fail to love God, we end up failing to love people as well. And so uh, Micah's come. This is the situation that Micah came into, that God sent him into to share with the people what was happening and, and to call them back to faithfulness. And, uh, and so what Micah brought was a verdict. And uh, the verse that we read actually takes place in kind of a courtroom scene. Um, in light of these issues, what Micah describes is God's message to the people, and he describes it as a court case. And, and so one of the things that we see in the prophets is frequently they're using um, poetic language, they're, they're using imagery to describe, to put into words the things that are happening. And so this is a court case that is happening, and this is how uh, Micah describes it at the beginning of Micah chapter 6. He says, hear what the Lord says, rise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the controversy of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people and he will contend with Israel. And, and so this is, a, this is kind of the language of a, of a court case, a covenant lawsuit, it's called. And, uh, and God is the plaintiff. And uh, as the jury, you have the, the mountains and the foundations of the earth, which, you know, it's interesting. But I guess, you know, someone who's been around a long time and can give um, a just, uh, a just um, a verdict. And so they're the ones who are, who are talking about that. And, God, and the people of Israel, the people of Judah, are the, are the defendants. And so God begins the court case by recounting the ways that God has saved the people in the past and looking back at the history of Israel and all the ways that God has been faithful to them. And so this is what God says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what way have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and 
and Miriam. And so remembering this really foundational event for the people of Israel, that God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And, and, and recognizing, look, I, I'm sorry that I saved you so much. That, I must, that must have been really wearying for you, right? Does anyone remember, you all probably never did this whenever you were growing up, but, you know, if, if you, as you're growing up, maybe at some point in your childhood or your teen years, you felt like, you know, my parents are really not giving me the things they ought to give me. And you said something like, you never get me anything. My friends get all of this stuff, and you never get me any of that. And then you see the look. And, and I think a lot of times it's one eyebrow that raises, like, Really? And uh, you think, so, so this roof that is over your head, how much rent do you pay for that? And in this house that you get to live in, do you have a bedroom? Oh, that must be nice. What do you sleep on in that bedroom? Did you pay for the bed? Oh, okay. And uh, what about food? How do you eat? Do you forage? No, huh? Okay. And you realize you're like, okay, I get it. Stop. That's enough. And, and you sulk off and that's not... Anyway, you all probably never did that, but I think that's kind of what's happening with the people of Israel. It's like, look, did I give you too much? What's going on? You're, you're stealing from other people and, and, and worshiping other gods. Have I not been faithful enough? And the people realize, like, how have we done this to the God who delivered us? How, have we, how are we living this way in light of all that God has done for us? And, and so they respond by suggesting ways that they might make amends, and specifically by making offerings. At that point, the, the temple um, is, still, is still in Jerusalem, and so that's where they would go and make offerings to God. And so the, those are the terms that they're thinking of. And, and, and that's what comes next is the question is, is you know, what, what do we do in light of all of this? And so the people respond with, what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? And it, it, they kind of start listing it out, and it's, it kind of escalates as they go. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? And I don't, I don't know. Apparently, that was like not enough. And so they kept going, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? So that's not an insignificant number. With ten thousands of rivers of oil? Now, I don't know exactly what unit of measurement a river is, but it doesn't sound small, Right. And so it just keeps escalating. And here at the end, you, you really get a picture for how far they are, from, how far they've drifted away from God, that they would think that the next one is even reasonable to suggest. And so they say, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? They're saying, you know, basically, should, should we offer children to God as a sacrifice? When clearly that is... I mean, if you read throughout the scriptures, it's clear that God is opposed to human sacrifice. It's condemned repeatedly. And yet that's how far they've come that they're like, you know, what can we do? They're that desperate that that's what they're offering. And the response is, it's not clear who's speaking in response. Maybe it's Micah, maybe it's the mountains or the hills. But what God requires is not an offering, but a different way of being a different way of being. And so this, this, is, this is finally the, the verse that we've been talking about. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? In other words, it's not about the offerings. Stop stealing land from other people. Stop taking advantage. Be just. Don't take advantage of people who are poorer than you just because you have power or you have wealth that you can make it happen, treat others with kindness and stop worshiping other gods. Walk humbly with your God. 
with the one who has done that. That's, that's all that God is asking for. Not all the, you know, all the great religious stuff, you know, can, God, can we come before you? And if, can we say, you know, if I said a thousand Lord's prayers, would that be great? And uh, I know that's a bit anachronistic. Jesus hadn't taught them the Lord's prayer yet. But I mean, that's kind of the equivalent for us today. And God's like, no, do justice, be kind and be humble. That's what I'm asking for. And, and, you know, I think today that's kind of like, you know, sometimes we're like, it's kind of like if, if we said, came to worship today as we were praying at the altar, we, we said this really great prayer, and then we went home and are just a jerk to our family. God's not like, hey, that's fine. You know, that was a really great prayer. That's mo- the important thing is that you pray. No, God's like, okay, pause the prayer and stop being a jerk to your family. Like, be kind. That's what God requires of us. And uh, Pastor Mark shared this on Christmas Eve, but, but I think it's so poignant. I wanted to share it again. The, the spiritual treacher, teachers of our tradition and other traditions to repeatedly remind us that spiritual ecstasy is no substitute for ordinary kindness and practical generosity. In other words, it's not about, you know, all the high religious stuff and making yourself look good. And, and it, it is about the way that we live with God. It's about walking humbly, being just, being kind. And what is, what is really interesting about this list is that justice, kindness, and humility aren't actions per se, but they're qualities of character. They're the way that we are in the world. They're who we are. They're, they're virtues. They're things that we can become whenever we walk with God. And, and so one of the things that we see throughout the Gospels, following Jesus isn't about doing the right things. It's about being transformed into his image. Now, doing the right things is important, right? I mean, being kind to people is important, but it's not what it's about. That, that's a result. It comes, it's, it comes from being transformed into Jesus' likeness, becoming like him. And so this is what Paul says in, in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what is God's will? What is good? Well, he has told you, O mortal, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. That happens whenever we're changed, whenever we're transformed. This is how he puts it in in the book of Philippians. He says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. What he wants for us is, is to be shaped into the image, formed into the likeness of Christ, having the same mind, being able to, to think in the way that he would have us to think, to love like he loves. Because God is less concerned with our achievements than with our character. And I have to remind myself of this whenever I look at a new year, you know, and I think of all the great things that I'm going to accomplish. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to run a marathon, I think I probably will not do that in 2023, but you, know, you never know, I might. Um, you know, I think if, if I can hit certain goals at work or any of those kinds of things or finally clean out the, my, my uh, wood collection in the garage that I'm going to get around to making a project out of someday in the next two decades, maybe. God's not worried about that. What God's worried about is who am I and who am I becoming? Am I, am I becoming more like Jesus or not? And, and, you know, we really get focused on achievements, on uh, what David Brooks calls our resume virtues, and we focus on those things, and, and they're important, but, but they're a result. They're, they're, not, they're not the important thing. They're, they're not the ultimate thing. And uh, Carrie Newhoff puts it this way, competency gets you in the room, but character keeps you in the room. 
keeps you in the room. And, uh, you know, you've seen people who are, who are tremendously competent, but because of moral failure, they're not able to lead anymore. They have to leave. And it's not because they're incompetent. It's because of their character. It's because of who they are. They're not becoming who God would have them to be. And whenever we talk about character, that, that can be, you know, kind of amorphous and it may feel like something that's fixed, but, but I love the way that Stephen Covey puts it. He, he says, our character basically is a composite of our habits. It's the things we do over and over again. How, how do I habitually treat the people that I'm around? What are the things that I do just out of habit? And our habits have a way of determining whether we're becoming more just and kind and humble or whether we're becoming more selfish more greedy, or more narcissistic. Our habits have the power to determine that. And so you think about, you know, what, what are the habits that I practice day in and day out? And, and I think particularly, like, what happens whenever I get bored? Well, my hand goes to my pocket, and my phone comes out. And, and what, I, what do I usually find there? What, whatever the algorithm thinks that I need to look at, and I begin being formed by people who want to monetize my eyeball minutes. I mean, that's essentially what it is. And so, you know, what are we doing whenever we get online? Well, if, if, if we're reaching into our pockets and we're looking at news, particularly news that, that, is, that is shaped against people who disagree with us, that's forming us and that's shaping us. You know, I think about the way that that shapes me. And so uh, Cal Newport talks a bit about the way that this shapes our brains, and it's almost Pavlovian that whenever we get bored, if the first thing we do is, is reach for our phone, then your brain starts to expect a, a dopamine hit. It's, it's basically like expecting a treat. And, uh, and as we train ourselves in that way, whenever we get bored and, and we don't reach for our phone, our brain's like, wait a minute, whenever I'm bored, I get a treat. Where's my treat? And, uh, you know, whenever he put it that way, I thought... I need to burn this thing. I do not like what this is doing to my brain, especially when you compare it to Pavlov's dog, not really where I want to go. And so we think about those things. And so some of the, some of the things that you, you think about is, is, you know, what are, whenever I'm thinking about, you know, my goals, my habits, and those kinds of things, it's, it can be difficult because justice, kindness, and humilities don't fit easily into smart goal frameworks, right? Like, be more just in 2023. If you've got a coach, they're going to be like, no, not specific enough. You have to have specific measures. And how do you get to, like, how can I go from, like, a five to a seven in justice? Like, I, I don't know. That maybe someone's invented that scale, but it's not accessible to me. And, and so it's difficult. But, but, you know, the way that we get there, if our character is determined by our habits is by small daily actions, just small daily actions that begin to shape our character as they become habits. And, uh, and as we do them over and over, in the same way that bad habits form us in ways that we don't want to be formed, our good habits will form us into the image of Christ. God's grace will use those habits to shape us and form us and to help us to become more just and kind and humble. And so as you think about these things, as you think about, you know, how, who do I want to become, think about the habits, I, I think it's really helpful to look at some of the folks, I'm, I'm sure many of you are familiar with James Clear, I think he just sold 10 million copies of Atomic Habits, but these are the four laws of behavior change that he says whenever you're trying to come up with a new habit. He says, make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. 
And so, you know, I, I've thought about this. I want to be on my phone less. And, and so I've, you know, I've gone through, I've I deleted email from my phone because, you know, at 11 o'clock looking at my work email doesn't take me to a place that is conducive to uh, getting a nice night of rest usually. And, uh, and so I've deleted that. I've deleted social media apps so I don't just mindlessly scroll those. I'm, I'm trying to make it harder. Of course, if you want to break a habit, doing the opposite of that, making it um, invisible, making it unattractive, making it difficult, and making it unsatisfying are the way to do that. And so, you know, I've, I've taken my phone and whenever I'm at home, I've tried to start putting it into our foyer and just letting it live there so I'm not tempted to scroll my phone whenever my daughters are talking to me or whenever I could be paying attention to Courtney or even doing the dishes, which I think at least one person in the house really appreciates and uh, everyone benefits from. And so I've done that. And, and not only that, but I've noticed even whenever I keep it in the other room, a lot of times whenever I get up, like that's where I go. And, and so, you know, that's not re- the first thing in the morning. What I want my thoughts to be shaped by are not the algorithm, right? Um, that's not particularly wa- what I want. And, and yet that habit is difficult to break. So, so this week, as I was thinking about this, I, I took my Bible. and I thought, you know, it, it would be a lot better to be shaped by Jesus than by my phone. And so now whenever I go to bed, I plug my phone in and, and I put my Bible on top of my phone and so I, I don't, I prefer a physical Bible to the Bible app just because there, there are no alerts on my, uh, on my paper Bible. And, and so now I have, if I want to get on my phone, I have to actually pick up my Bible and move it out of the way, which uh, doesn't feel great. And, and so it's a lot easier just to pick it up and, and to read a chapter. And, and so that's been, that's been really helpful for me and uh, something that I want to continue. I, I just wonder, you know, as you think about your habits, you know, what are the things that you do first thing in the morning and how is that shaping you? Because the inputs that we habitually expose ourselves to will shape who we become. The voices that we listen to have a profound effect on who we're becoming. And if all we're listening to is about how bad the world is or how bad, you know, this party or this party or these people are, then that's going to shape us into people who, who are more contemptuous. That's how we're going to become. If all that we focus on is, is hearing about money or learn about profit or whatever it is, you know, in your world, that's what we're going to be focused on. And we won't worry about the other things. So what are the voices that are shaping you? And what are the voices that you want to be shaping you? For a lot of us, those are not the same things. And so this is what Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 4. He says, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I, I sometimes wondered about that verse. It's kind of like, it's kind of a long list. It's like, what, what is thinking about things going to actually accomplish? What it's going to accomplish is the things that we think about will shape us and form who we're becoming. And if we're thinking about things that, that are the opposite of those things that are false, that are dishonorable, that are unjust, impure, displeasing, I don't know what the opposite of commendable is, but you get the point. If those are the things that we're focusing on, that's who we're going to become. But if we focus on the things of God, if we shape our habits so that the voices that we're hearing, the things that we're doing are the things that actually help us to become those virtues that Micah talks about, justice, kindness, and humility, then we will be changed. We will be different. And whenever that happens, a transformed you can lead to a transformed family, a transformed organization, a transformed community, and a transformed world.
Whenever God changes us, we will ripple out and change the world. And it doesn't happen all at once. You're not going to go from a five injustice to a 10 in the year 2023, probably. But it makes a difference. And the way that we make a difference is through those small acts. Every day, deciding, I'm going to do this habit. And this may not, this one day, you know, this five minutes reading the Bible instead of reading my phone may not change me. But doing that for a year will make a big difference. Doing that for five years can change who I am. And doing for that for 10 might change my community. And that's what happens whenever we allow God to shape who we are. So who do you want to be in 2023? Here's some action steps I want to take with you as, uh, as we try to live this out. So we're talking about habits. First, I want to challenge you to do a habit audit and just, you know, think through those things. As you go through your day, think about the things that you do without thinking. Uh, okay, that sounds a little bit hard when you put it that way. But think about, okay, now I'm, I'm brushing my teeth. How is that shaping me? Well, that's a good habit. It's shaping me into someone who cares for my body, who cares for the people that I have to interact with and potentially smell my breath. I mean, that's, that's a great habit. But, you know, if you, if you find yourself pulling out your phone and, and looking at the latest news on, on you know, what are whoever you don't like doing now that I can get mad about. Like that, that's a habit that's not shaping you in a positive way. So, so think about those things. Pay attention and ask yourself, you know, why am I doing this? And how is this forming me? And uh, as we think about, as we think about these, these virtues, these qualities of character that we're trying to live into, um, you know, we'll talk about justice next week, but this week you might just start with an easy, an easier one and gr- start with gratitude. And so here's how I want to challenge you to practice that. Just these small acts, just write a thank you note or send a thank you text or a thank you email. Do that each day this week. And one of the things that we find is whenever we do that, whenever we are actually acting grateful, doing small acts of gratitude, that will make us more grateful. It'll change who we are. And so start with gratitude. Try that this week. If you've got Christmas presents and you haven't written your thank you notes, like, sorry, your mom told me to tell you you don't have any excuses now. And so, um, you know, that's a great way to do that. Um, but, but practice being grateful just in small ways and, and see what happens. And, and like I said, this sermon series is based on Micah 6, 8. And so I want to challenge you to, to focus on that this weekend and actually try to memorize that. And so let's, uh, let's read this together. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.